incompetence of central banks. Yeah. So, I mean, I really liked your podcast. I thought you like laid it down hard. I think that like, I think one of the best parts was breaking up like the situation is different between Christine Lagarde and Jerome Powell and the dollar and the ECB and or in the in the euro and you know we're seeing tether we're seeing like the market deliver dollars in the digital realm and you know i think that the breakdown there is like you know very important information for people to understand yeah i should have credited you there because uh i think you've tried to say that for a long time like you you say oh i don't know how this is different than tether but it is different than Tether for the ECB. It's not for Jerome Powell, right? And that, so, yeah, that makes sense that um, the ECB and other central banks, they're much more gung-ho on these CBDCs because they don't want the economy to move into some digital realm and they lose market share to a U.S. dollar stablecoin or a Facebook stablecoin. So uh, I think that once I kind of, that kind of clicked for me, I was like, oh man, now it makes sense. Her position is totally logical at this point. So I think there's a good spot to just kick off the podcast. Guys, <laughs> welcome to FedWatch. This is how, this is how Ansel and I do it, man. We just, we just go back and forth and then we, uh, we, we start recording and, and make the podcast happen. But uh, we have an awesome show for you guys. It is inspired by Ansel's most recent Bitcoin and markets episodes. So if you are not subscribing to that, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, go over, look up Bitcoin and markets, subscribe to Ansel's podcast, Bitcoin and markets. And while you're at it, go and subscribe to the brand new FedWatch feed. So you've been watching this on YouTube or you've been watching or listening to this on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast feed. Uh, we are just putting out too many shows now on Bitcoin Magazine. So we got to break up the feeds. Uh, so now each show gets its own feed. So there's already an Aaron Van Wordham, uh, Van Wordham Shores NATO podcast feed. There's a Bitcoin in Asia podcast feed. Now there's a FedWatch podcast feed. So subscribe to that soon at the end of this month. We're going to have each show on their own individual feed exclusively. And then we will eventually be rolling out a brand new network feed that will include everything. Uh, but for the time being, we're just work- focusing on breaking up the shows and uh, getting you all to move to those new feeds and subscribing to uh, the correct place for the content. So if you like this show, go there. Um, and if you like this show, go check out our sponsor. So our sponsor is LVL Level. They are a new kind of Bitcoin exchange. Uh, they're actually not even trying to be an exchange. They're trying to be a Bitcoin bank. They're trying to be a consumer bank for Bitcoin. The whole app and the product is modeled after like a challenger bank, except that it's a Bitcoin native challenger bank. And their ultimate goal is they want to help you bank on Bitcoin. They want you to get paid in fiat, put that entire paycheck into their FDI insured bank account, and then you know convert it into whatever percentage of Bitcoin you want. So for some Bitcoiners, that's going to be 100%. For other Bitcoiners, that's going to be 50%. And But essentially with Level, they're going to enable you to get paid in Bitcoin. They're going to enable you to maintain a debit card that just, you know, only that only spends, you know, what you need. They, they're really trying to go from a like a brokerage style exchange to a, um, you know, consumer style bank for 
Bitcoin for your US dollars and bring it all together. So go check out LVL.co. I think it's a great, great uh, new direction to take Bitcoin financial services. I think they're ahead of the pace. Um, and I think that every other fintech company is going to be you know, doing what they're doing. So we've already seen Cash App doing it. Um, LVL is the new one. And, uh, you know, we're going to see more. So check out LVL. They got a lot of cool products coming out. Um, and yeah, that's enough for me. Ansel, let's get into the show. Um, you know, I reached out to you after listening to your podcast and I was like, man, I love the way that you broke down the differing situations between the dollar and the euro and Christine Lagarde's attitude towards CBDCs uh, versus Jerome Powell's attitude versus CBDCs. Why don't you kind of give the listeners, uh, you know, the, what, what's, what's, the, what's the groundwork here? Like, why don't you set the groundwork and kind of explain what's going on um, in the world of CBDCs and central banks? Okay. Uh, we see across the world, uh, many, many central banks. I think it's upwards of 80 central banks are now in the process of at least looking at or researching central bank digital currencies. Um, that was, it was kind of simmering. Uh, they were talking about it for years, but then Facebook last year came out with their um, Libra and that kind of kicked everybody in the butt and said, look, we need to really address this. Uh, there was lots of high level conversations in all of the parliaments of the world. And now they're really going for it. They, they seem to uh, be going faster and faster towards a CBDC. And this, this brings up a lot of kind of conspiracy thinking of, is there going to be a one world currency? Are they trying to get rid of cash? Are they, you know, what is the, plan of the evil bankers. And so uh, I have been looking a lot into this, trying to comprehend what this means, where it's going. Um, and yeah, so I've been talking a lot about that on my other podcast and we talk about it here with um, many other people, many of our guests as well. We, we ask them questions about CBDC. So what uh, did I cover the bases? What else should we add? No, I think I think you did cover the basis, and really, there's an outlier in central banks interested in central bank digital currencies, and that's the United States. Pretty much yes. every central bank, including all the biggest, China and Europe, they're all talking about CBDCs. The only outlier in terms of leaders of central banks are like, uh, I don't know, we'll see, let's <laughs> allow things to evolve, let's take a cautious move, is Jerome Powell. But if you think about it, Jerome Powell is in a completely different situation than every, and the U.S. is a completely different situation than every other central bank. So it makes sense. Yeah, he's mentioned it too. Um, he said, you know, their position as world reserve currency is going to make them very conservative going forward with this stuff. But what he didn't say, I think unspoken, left unspoken, is uh, that they have all of the CBDCs out there in the world today. I mean, there's something like what $25 billion worth of stable coins, but how many euros are in stable coins? Very few. How many yen? Very, very few. So uh, yeah, I think um, they can step back and take a conservative approach because of tether, because that is out in front and leading the world. Now I also wanted to tie in the idea of convergence and money. So from a Bitcoiner perspective, you know, the best money will eventually win because of network effects and um, 
benefits to economic calculation and all those types of things. So if you're putting these new currencies into a new digital space and the U.S. dollar is the main one out there, um, I think these countries are worried about losing market share to a digital dollar as economies go more and more digital. What What do you think about that? No, absolutely. And so in your Bitcoin and markets, you actually read through a Christine Lagarde speech um, and she literally says exactly this in the speech. And I, I love how in this show and in Bitcoin and markets, you try to un, you know lift the veil on central bankers because they're actually just, you know, they're saying what they're thinking in plain sight to the public on live streams and in public speeches. She's saying the euro needs to compete. There are other competitors in the digital space that are trying to encroach on the euro's sovereignty. And we need to do this in order to maintain sovereignty, in order to, um, you know, continue the euro's place in the world, essentially. It's like these central bankers are thinking about the implications of stable coins. And um, obviously, you know, I've been calling Tether FedCoin, and I've been calling USDC FedCoin, like FedCoin has been here. Everybody thinks that central bankers are omnipotent, that they are so smart. And uh, even gold bugs and Austrians, they fall into the same trap. They say central bankers are making a mistake. You know, we should, we are hurting the economy by having fiat currency. Um, But at the same time, they can't wrap their mind around the idea that maybe central bankers are winging it. Maybe they're freaking winging it. They have no idea what's going on anyway. And we see this right here with Christine Lagarde. I walk through her piece and um, she ties herself in knots and uh, goes different directions with stuff. But yeah, underlying the whole thing is monetary sovereignty of the ECB. They feel like that will be encroached somehow if they don't act with these CBDCs. So that's one reason why they're really pushing forward. Just to kind of reframe the reality is, is that the dollar's network effects is really flexing right now. And it becomes extremely obvious how dominant the dollar's network effects are when you remove the need to be in a physical jurisdiction, right? As yes. soon as the world goes completely global, it's, it's USD and BTC. That's it. Like no one denominates anything in the euro. No one cares about that. So these central bankers, whether it's, you know, ECB central bankers, whether it's central bankers in China or anywhere else in the world, really, they're grappling with the reality that their geographic constraints on the money that people use is disappearing completely and they must compete. Um, and really, it's, it's like Jeff Booth says that is like, you know, what does what does Blockbuster do when Netflix changes the game? Yeah, <laughs> they add candy to the candy aisle. That's what they're like, you know, they, they're going to do whatever they can to create value, but the game has been changed. They're losing, they're gasping for air and it's, it's right in front of us. It's crazy to watch. Yeah. If, if there was a private company, well, there is a private company. Tether also provides a Euro tether, but nobody wants it. You know, if, if the reason why these central banks have to do this is because nobody wants a private digital currency based on the Euro. So they are like, well, we're going to have to fill this market failure need and produce our own. I, I think this this particular post that she had, I think it was a blog post. I don't think it was a speech, but um, she, I think it lays out exactly what they're thinking. Let's just zoom out again. You know, central banks are grappling with Bitcoin's existence. That's what's yeah. happening. 
like ultimately all of this is CBDCs, you know, distributed ledger, crypto, blockchain, that all of that stuff, like those words, those buzzwords is every industry grappling with Bitcoin's existence. Like what Bitcoin has done to the world, that is what they're grappling with. And another example of the world grappling with Bitcoin is we now have our first public institution publicly issuing debt, convertible notes, looking to raise $400 million and stating that the intent of the fundraise is strictly to purchase Bitcoin to add to their treasury. And they have already put all of their cash into Bitcoin at this point. And for multiple quarters, you know, any liquid cash, they make public buys of Bitcoin. So a lot of Bitcoiners are saying, this is the first example. MicroStrategy and, and uh, Michael Saylor are the first example of a speculative attack on the U.S. dollar from a public institution. I am writing an article that will be published on the same day as this podcast talking about what happens when companies start adopting Bitcoin and start becoming sovereign themselves, start reaching nation state status themselves, and they don't have to rely on any you know, fiat. What is happening to the world? Like, can you talk? Can you talk about? Like, can you imagine that this is happening? Bitcoiners have been talking about this for a very long time, ever since I've been in, probably 2013 or 14. They've been talking about this. It just is coming to fruition right now. And uh, did you see that MicroStrategy got downgraded right after this? I saw someone post on Twitter that um, one of the rating agencies was thinking about downgrading MicroStrategy for this. But that's interesting. And they're going to fight back maybe. maybe. Was this Michael Saylor's intention all along? Was he trying to pivot the company the whole time into being a Bitcoin like ETF or fund? You know, I, I don't think that this was his intention the whole time. But I mean, it's a nice side effect. It's now, uh, I think it's trading at like 4x. I can anticipate if Bitcoin's going up, MSTR is going up now. It, it is a de facto or pseudo ETF at this point. Yeah. And it's, it's good to have competition for Grayscale too, because I don't, I don't want to see Grayscale become this monolithic uh, store of Bitcoin because that's kind of a weakness, right? Uh, they could, the government knows where Barry Silbert lives. And so uh, it's, be- it's best to have a lot of competition and hopefully we'll see more and more companies doing this for that simple fact of competition. Uh, plus, yes, it's a specu- speculative attack on the dollar. Um, speculative attack on all these currencies. Imagine if they did something like this in a country where there's a weaker currency. I mean, it could it could get very hairy very quickly in those emerging markets and things like that. No, absolutely. And I mean, I guess just to take a step back, can you explain what a speculative attack is? Just for anyone who doesn't know, you know what we're talking about. It's it's basically like exactly what they're doing here. They're uh, borrowing in a currency and buying Bitcoin with it. So what that does is it ends up pushing the value of the currency you owe down and the current, the value of the currency you own up. So that is it. Um, just the simple trade makes it profitable. And if you can do that in big enough scale, you can affect currencies. You can crash currencies doing that. Pierre Richard actually uh, several years back wrote a classic article, you know, discussing mm-hmm. this very idea. 
Um, so go to Nakamoto Institute uh, or the Googles and and find that. We'll also throw it into the show notes. But essentially, yeah, he, the idea is you you leverage softer money and you buy harder money with it. Um, Richard Cantillon, the person that the Cantillon effect is named after, he actually, what an influential person in society. You should go Google him. But um, he created one of the very first corporations and he dumped, you know, printed corporation shares, dumped it on the French people and uh, bought silver and gold with it. So uh, we may be watching, uh, you know, the future version of that happening uh, today with MSTR and uh, other public companies as well. We'll have to watch for regulation against this specifically. I, I don't think that b- you can ban Bitcoin, but countries can ban this type of activity. So um, I would assume we're going to see some of that. I mean, just in the recent COVID crisis, like in China, they banned short selling. They like to ban short selling a lot of places where it's, you know, during crises. Uh, they'll have bank holidays. I mean, that's the initial the initial way to shut down some sort of panic. So they, they pr- can do something like that. So if MicroStrategy might be poking a bear here, and then this type of activity could get banned in the future, but that's something we'll have to watch out for. There has been a lot of speculation recently, and this is, is not on our list. So uh, let me know if I'm putting you on the spot too much, but there's been a lot of speculation about the Trump administration trying to push out some anti-Bitcoin regulation in the next, you know, month or so before Biden comes into power. Does that like, does that sound right to you? There's also been posturing from, uh, from the former head of, uh, of Coinbase is legal, who is now part of, uh, I think he's part of the treasury. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but he's been posturing. They're not going to make Bitcoin illegal. Don't worry, which actually kind of gets me a little concerned. Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, also put out a big thread kind of uh, indicating that self-custody might be under attack. Uh, These are all like speculations and there hasn't really been anything legitimate. Uh, Have you heard this stuff? Do you have like any opinions about these potential kind of attacks on Bitcoin. Yeah, I've heard them. They're interesting. I heard the, or I saw the Armstrong tweet and I wrote about that. Uh, There's also like stuff from Coin Center or at least people that are somewhat close to Coin Center um, not acting surprised about some of these headlines. I think that it's possible. There was even a headline back from September, uh, not a Bitcoin related uh, media outlet talking about how Trump was telling Mnuchin to go get the cryptocurrencies. So uh, there is some legitimacy to these rumors, but I'm not too worried about it because, I mean, it would be really hard to pass something like this. He can't even, he pardoned Flynn, but he can't even pardon Assange. And that has like 80% approval rating in the country. Uh, they can't, there's a bill out to legalize cannabis and that's like very, very popular. 80% of people are for that type of thing. And he hasn't been able to legalize that or hasn't done that. So there's a lot of easier things to do that I think would fit his MO, but he hasn't done those either. So I'm not too worried about this. Uh, there's a lot of powerful people, um, billionaires, trillionaire hedge fund managers that are for Bitcoin. So I don't think it'd be that easy just to, for Mnuchin to say, hey, ban it. That Something they might try to do is some sort of KYC regulation, um, change something, um, some requirement there. 
I don't know. I don't think that will affect Bitcoin's underlying value at all. It, it might make a few more hurdles for people, uh, but we will route around it very quickly. Uh, it might be kind of annoying for a couple months or something like that, but we will find a way around it easily. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that if there's one thing that I could say I've learned from really watching central bankers, really watching politicians, really trying to grapple with the implications of this technology is that there is no way they can move fast enough. There's no way they have so little information. They are all talk and no production. Uh, and Bitcoin is here in production. Bitcoin is thriving in the real world, growing, building a market today. It's not going to be easy to ban it. It's not going to be easy. And even if you do, is that ban going to be effective? Um, is that ban going to hurt your country? Is that ban going to be good for your citizens? It's it's not going to be easy for them. Yeah, I just saw uh, or read an article about the G7. They met with Mnuchin and they were talking about, um, they all agreed that there needed to be strong uh, a, a strong push towards regulating this. And again, I think it's kind of a scare tactic in a way, or maybe they want to talk big, but I think the days of large international agreements, that's kind of over. Um, it's going to be very hard to get the U S to sign on to anything. And these other countries might want to, but look, the U S is the heavyweight in the room. They have 80% of global transactions. Um, you know, 60% of the world reserves are in the U S dollar. And if the U S doesn't want to do something, the rest of the world can't, it doesn't matter how many other countries there are in, in the agreement, if the U S isn't in the agreement. So, um, it's, I think the days of getting people all around a table at Camp David and signing some accord, I think those, those are over, at least for the near future. Uh, we won't have to worry about that this decade, I guarantee you. I agree with you, but I don't think that it will happen next decade either because I think Bitcoin is the accord. Bitcoin is the trustless accord and individuals can opt into it. They no longer need to be represented by um, a nation state in order to opt into cooperation. Like that is the revolution. That is why the game has been changed. And that's why, you know, the central bankers are playing blockbuster and, you know, lining the, the aisles with candy. Um, you know, they're trying yeah. to do whatever, but they, you know, they can't. They've been obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the monetary front, 100%. Um, but there will be other, you know, trade deal, uh, different type of, unions or uh, anything that we uh, alliances or <laughs> treaties. So there will be other things out there, but yes, I agree hundred percent on the monetary front. Um, we're going back to the way it used to be. The, the new accords are the States agreeing on how to cooperate in the future and the countries of Europe agreeing and the uh, components of Eastern Europe and uh, you know, China agreeing on how to cooperate within their geography. And it's going to be a lot less, you know, China and the U.S. talking about how to cooperate. But um, I, I just think I, I'm a full believer in the sovereign individual thesis at this point. So um, no original ideas coming from me here. There was somebody I, I don't remember if it was Twitter in, in my Discord server that said um, that the sovereign individual is like an introduction to the fourth turning. And they go together. I thought that was pretty interesting. That, um, yeah, those two books are very influential. If you guys haven't read them, you need to get out there and get uh, both the Sovereign Individual and the Fourth Turning. They're very, very important. 
the fourth turning is a good framework, but I think the sovereign individual is telling you what is happening right now and in your life. Yeah. In, yeah. In the world today, the, the transition to the digital world. Yeah. I think the sovereign individual, I, I have multiple copies. I I've ordered at least 50 of them and I passed them out to Bitcoiners like Bibles, you know, here you go. Passing them out. <laughs> and I travel, I bring some with me. Like, seriously, you think I'm crazy, but I do it. Yeah. You, and you should books- too. It's a great idea. There, like, there are places in the world where you cannot get physical copies of some of these books. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I first started doing this is I, I shipped sovereign individual copies to Romania. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, you, you should buy a bunch of your favorite Bitcoin books, including the sovereign individual, and distribute them. You know? Do your part. Get the physical knowledge out there. Yeah, I think people have done the same with the Bitcoin Standard. That's a good one, a very important book. Another, I, I want to recommend two more books. Uh, one is Disunited Nations by Peter Zion. Uh, that came out earlier this year. Very, very good book. I think it will open a lot of people's eyes about geopolitics in general and what we should expect over the next decade or two. Uh, and the next one is The Great Leveler. I can't remember the author off the top of my head now, um, but it's about when the Gini coefficient gets too out of whack, you know, so wealth inequality is way too high. Um, how does, how does that get leveled back out? Because it always gets leveled back out in history. And what does that look like? So um, it's usually very bloody and very authoritarian. Yeah. Well, we're seeing authoritarianism, but is this time different, right? Is this where Bitcoin kind of fits in? And, I've been doing some thinking on this and a lot of it is influenced by our conversations, but like Bitcoin could be like the cold, like the cold war 2.0 outlet, like world war three might be a cold war and you know, the global competition to mine Bitcoins might be a big outlet for, you know, whatever that, (laughs) yeah. Or, you know, just like the, uh, these nation states fighting each other. Like mm. it's just a much more efficient, effective way for them to compete and and provide wealth or whatever. Like I, I don't know if that is even online with what you're saying. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I've also thought about okay, so nuclear weapons came around, you know, end of World War II, and we haven't had a global conflict since then. And what does a global conflict look like with nuclear weapons? You know, I think putting in putting nukes is like the firearm for the individual. It's a leveling levels of playing field. And so I don't know if we're going to have hot wars anymore. We might have these proxy wars around the world, but I don't think there's at least at this moment, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a global conflict again. Uh, And so, yeah, everything has to shift to monetary competition or cultural competition or, you know, something like controlling the social media, controlling the airwaves, that kind of thing. Uh, Cyber warfare, then, actual hot warfare where's your citadel going to be is that not an offset question to ask well i personally think that the world the 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 center of economic prosperity in the world flips to the southern hemisphere really yeah i don't know i think that there's just more freedom there and there's less institutionalized government to hold back um, progress. So, uh, freedom and technology is going to reign supreme in the, in the South and in the North where there's obstacles, uh, and, uh, powerful institutions, uh, you know, 
there's going to be an exodus. Like what, Australia or South America, or what are you talking about? Africa and South America. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I'm I'm bearish on Australia. Australia is kind of is more like the West. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh. So are you? I guess the Amazon would be a good place for a citadel. You could be back in the in the jungle somewhere. I mean, South America is a beautiful place. I'm uh, I'm I'm going to be doing some exploring down there. I need to brush up on my Spanish. Listen to Peter Zion's book because he does a lot of talking about Brazil and Argentina, the the South American horn, I think it's called, the the bottom of South America there where Argentina is. That is the most isolated population center in the planet. Very interesting. I mean, Argentina is amazing, has amazing resources, beautiful people, beautiful culture, great snow, skiing, mountains, everything has it all. I agree. Now they just need their government to stop fucking it up. They just need Bitcoin. <laughs> so, um, and Bitcoin is here for them. Well, Bitcoin one of the says yes. <laughs> one of the things Peter Zahn says is that, you know, Argentina is so blessed. They're blessed geographically. They're, they're blessed demographically. And so they can stand to mess up their country because they have so much natural bounty there, which is, I think is very interesting. So, yeah, it's. I would love to make it down there someday. I would also like to see uh, Chile, like Santiago. I think that'd be great. Bullish on South America. Where's your citadel? <laughs> I know a lot of people see America as the last bastion for freedom, right? This is where we make our stand. I'm sure a lot of Americans can uh, can feel that. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the U.S. is the most blessed geographically uh, place on the planet. And I think that the U.S. is going to be economically probably the best place to be in the, in the future. Um, and most likely it will be at least amongst the freest places to live. So uh, I don't think there's – it's at least in my mind, it's hard to pick another country that I'm more bullish on. And so, yeah, my citadel would have to be here in the U.S. somewhere. I used to say Canada, but damn, look at Canada now. They, they're going downhill fast. Well, so, yeah, the way that the U.S. is constructed, um, and I think the jurisdictional arbitrage that's available within the U.S. is makes the U.S. extremely, extremely competitive. But maybe where I think we see things slightly differently is I'm thinking about just a geography and a region, and you're thinking about which country am I most bullish on. Like, obviously, the U.S., <laughs> yeah, you're going to be the most bullish on the U.S. It's in the dominant position. It has more freedoms that are baked in. It ha- we are accumulating more Bitcoin than anyone else right now. We are accumulating hash power faster than everyone else right now. But is the U.S. as a government going to even be what we're comparing it to? Like, yeah, maybe there's going to be, uh, you know, maybe there's going to be places in North America that are fantastic to live for sure. I- I- I'm bullish on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at it like um... – where you want to escape to. That's a, that's kind of a different question. Where, where's your bug out location that yeah. South America, like uh, Buenos Aires, something like that. Oh man, that would be a great bug out location. But I think to live and work, um, the U S is probably going to be the best place. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> that, that that's good for me. I'm here. So <laughs> I hope you're right. Did you see, did you uh, hear about the mayor of Miami? telling Silicon Valley companies that, Hey, let's make Miami the new Silicon Valley. What do you think about that? Dude, 
jurisdictional arbitrage in the United States is fantastic and California is killing itself. So yeah, it's a great move. And Florida is showing itself as a fantastic place to position yourself. Like I've never been more like, wow, Florida seems awesome than now. So uh, more free, great weather um, has, you know, for the, for the people that need a city, it has a great cities for the people that don't want it and want to be rural has that too. So uh, juris- America is great because of jurisdictional arbitrage. And that's just a great example. Like COVID is a great example, even County by County in your state um, there's jurisdictional arbitrage going on. Uh, and that's in the Bay. Yeah. All over. So uh, jurisdictional arbitrage is the most like Bitcoin enables jurisdictional arbitrage. And that's what's mm-hmm. going to destroy nation states like yeah. that. <laughs> It's not Bitcoin that destroys the nation states. It's the ability to now everyone can take part in jurisdictional arbitrage. That's what is going to change the world. 100% agree. And I like that tie in. That was great. Um, Yeah. The walking across the border with a Swiss bank account in your pocket, that is extremely scary to nation states. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of people will say, oh, it's going to get way worse before it gets better. Well, what happens if it doesn't? What happens if it just starts getting better from here? So I, maybe we should leave the podcast on that bullish uh, positive note. Let's go. All right, you guys, <laughs> you can follow me at CK underscore Starks. You can also find my stuff at Bitcoin Magazine. You can find the show now on its own podcast feed. FedWatch on everywhere that you get your podcast It's titled FedWatch. Bitcoin and macro. Give that a please, 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 please subscribe. Give it a five-star review. Share it everywhere. Make sure that you move there by the end of the month because that is where FedWatch is going to live. Uh, if you watch this on YouTube, it's still going to be there. Have no fear. But you guys, go subscribe to the new feed. Ansel. Oh, yeah. Subscribe to Bitcoin and Markets. Bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's my other podcast. Also, check out the Bitcoin Dictionary, bitcoindictionary.cc. And if you're worried about following us with all these different RSS feeds, just follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bitcoin Magazine or follow Christian or myself and uh, or follow all of us. And we will make sure that you get to the right uh, RSS spot in the beginning of next year. All right. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.